Yeah, the last time I did preach, I was in Italy. My dad said, he said, you know, I don't even remember that. And I said, oh, good. I try not to remember it, too. I sound really loud. Am I really loud or is that's just me? Okay, that's fine. All right, well, if you're glad to be an American, raise your right hand. Keep it up. If you're glad to be in tonight, raise your left hand. If you're glad to be saved, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay, sick. So now we're down here. We're praising the Lord. I always love coming to church. I had a preacher say one time, he said, hey, church is not a, a, a spectatorship. It is a participation. So I'm up here preaching. I'm up here saying what, what I think God's put on my heart. I pray that you're down there evaluating your life. I pray that you're looking through the lens of the scripture, looking at your, yourself, and you're, 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 you're contemplating your life. And I, and I want you to Sit there, not be a spectator, but be a participant. So if you have your, your Bible tonight, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And, uh, this is a very um, familiar story in the Bible. This is the story of the, uh, the wedding at Cana, where, this is, where Jesus comes into the scene and... Um, Brother Sean McGavin told me this morning, he said, this is the first miracle recorded in the Bible for over 800 years. Because if you remember, before um, Jesus, there was that 400 years of silence. And then he said, and before that, there was 400 years before another miracle was occurred. So there's been 800 years in between a miracle that God's done a miracle. Which to me, I'm like, wow, that's a long time. That is a long time to go without a miracle. So John chapter 2, and let's start. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples. Let me pause right there really quick just to say something. It's funny to notice, and, it's, and it's, I don't think it's an accident that God put it in here, but it says right here that where Jesus was called, his disciples went with him. And I, I think I strongly believe it's worded that way because we're not supposed to go and have Jesus come with us. Where Jesus was called, his disciples were called too. And it says right there, Jesus was called and his disciples went with him. We're supposed to be following Jesus. And there, there's, there's no two ways about it. You're not going somewhere and saying, hey, Jesus, come with me. You're saying, hey, Jesus, lead me this way. Because Jesus should be the one that's guiding your footsteps. Jesus should be the one that's putting down, paving the path for you to go. So just something interesting I saw right there. Wherever Jesus was called, his disciples went with him. To the marriage, and when they wanted wine, verse 3, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, and if it's your habit to underline in your Bible, I pray that you underline this next phrase. She said, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made, wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when man have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. 
Let's pray and we'll get right into this. Lord, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for just allowing us to be at church today, God. I pray that you use the the Bible tonight, God, to help us to grow, to help us to apply it to our lives, to be better Christians in the long run, God. I pray, Lord, that as I preach tonight, God, that myself wouldn't get in the way, God, but I pray that you use me as a vessel to say what you want me to say, God. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. God, I pray tonight as we're looking into your word, God, I pray that your spirit's among us. I pray that we're not here by ourselves, God, but that you're here with us. God, I pray that you'd help me tonight, help me to say the things that you want me to say. I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. So you can imagine as me, a college student, right, as a young college student, I, I am not someone who likes to be told that I'm wrong. I'm not someone who likes to be told uh, that, I, that I'm not doing something right. I'm doing something, you know, and, you know, and my dad preached this morning and he started off with saying, you know, sometimes there's got to be some people that will come by and tell you that you're wrong or fix it, what you're doing. I don't like that. And I've come to find out that that's, just not, that's not just me. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that live their life not being liked, how to be told, how to do certain things. Not, they don't like being told that they're wrong. And, and I come to find out that you know, that's most people. It's not, it, to, to an extent, some people are more than others. But, and, and a lot of times there's these issues in life that you, you say, hey, I, I, don't, I, I can do this. I got it. It's under control. And, and that can be dangerous. That can be a very dangerous mentality. But can I tell you that it's even more dangerous when it comes into the Christian circle? When you have a life of a Christian who says, hey, I can do this. I can figure it out. I can pave my own way. And it is the most dangerous thing. It is the most dangerous thing to be a Christian who's going to tell God, hey, I've got it under control. And so here, just kind of a, 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 a weird story. You know, to me, I, I think, you know, if Jesus is stepping onto the scene, right? He's 30 years old. He spent 30 years on this earth. He's ready to come out and start his public ministry. If I was Jesus, you know, I'd come out with a bang. You know, I like to do things big. I'm going to come out, and I'm going to raise this guy from the dead. That's my first miracle. I'm going to come out, you know, and I'm going to feed 5,000 people. Or I'm going to come out, and I'm actually going to raise from the dead my first miracle. To me, that's what I'm thinking, you know, yeah, you know that'd be kind of cool. But Jesus comes in, and he turns water into wine. It's cool. It's, it's, it's cool, I guess. You know, I mean, I can't do that, so it's still, I mean, that is pretty cool still. But I just want to look, there's three things that I really want to look at right here in this passage. Here, the first thing I want you guys to notice, and if you're taking notes, the first point is an uncontrolled situation. So you see right here, Jesus comes into this, um, comes into the scene. And it tells you right in the beginning, it says, hey, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is at this wedding. And here at this wedding, they have this the huge crowd, and they have a bunch of wine, and they have, uh, um, they're, they're, they have this crowd that they're feeding. And then all of a sudden, they find that there's no wine left. And so, you know, um, Mary, being a mother, she, she, she starts to, you know, kind of worry. She starts to, you know, kind of panic a little bit. And, and, you know, I, I know my mom, when we have some things going on at our, our house or we have parties or, or we have anything where we're hosting, when we start to run low on certain things, my mom's going to start freaking out. She's going to say, oh, no, we need, to, we need to make sure that everyone is well fed. We need to make sure that everyone has what they, they need. We want to make sure that we're being a good host. And so Mary right here is just doing the own, only logical thing. She's, she's starting to worry. She's saying, hey, we don't have enough for this wedding. And so you can see here, Mary noticed a need. Mary noticed the need, right? In um, verse 3, it says, And when they wanted wine, 
the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Mary was very aware of what was going on. Mary was very attentive. She knew what was going on. She saw the situation. She saw how it was getting out of control. And she said, hey, there's a problem coming up. We're going to have a problem right here. And it might seem a little bit small to you. You might say, hey, you know what? Okay, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, just go to Walmart, pick up some more bottles. Go to Walmart, go to pick up, you know, whatever. And it might seem insignificant, but Mary was kind of worrying. She said, hey, we have this problem, and I noticed this problem. I looked into it a little bit. I was wondering what a firkin was. You know, I was like, I had no idea. And so a firkin, they told us, to be about nine gallons, which is a lot. So if there's six pots, there were all about two to three fir um, firkins apiece. I think my math's messed up, actually, now that I'm looking at it. I was homeschooled. So, <laughs> so if there's nine gallons, two to three gallons apiece, and there's six pots, can anybody do the math? Because I can't right now. It is a lot of gallons that they have a lot of gallons, there's no wine. And, and so Mary's understanding, she said, hey, there's a lot, and nine gallons is a lot for one. That is a lot of wine. They must have had a really big wedding, a very big wedding. And so she notices here that, hey, we're, we're, we're a little bit short on wine. So Mary noticed a need. Yeah. Secondly, I really want to notice under here in the uncontrolled situation is that Mary scrambles for a solution. Mary understood that there, had, there was a problem. Mary understood that, hey, we, we got to fix this problem. And can I tell you today that in the American church today that there's a lot of needs, there's a lot of problems. And there are not people stepping up. There's not people saying, hey, I see this need. Hey, I want to fix this. Hey, I need to scramble for a solution. There's not enough people doing that. There's people like Mary right here in the Bible. She's saying, hey, we don't have enough wine. Hey, there's a problem. Hey, I see an issue. Hey, I see, this, I see something that needs fixed. And Mary sees this issue and she says, hey, I need to find a solution. At my Bible college, I have my college president, he always, tells, he always says this. He always says, see the need, take the lead. He always says that. He says, hey, if you see a problem, if you see a problem, who's going to fix it? If it's not you, who's it going to be? So there needs to be an uprising of people that are going to say, hey, I see a need, I see something, I see a hole that needs filled and scramble for a solution. Thirdly, and right here, can I, in the uncontrolled situation, Mary noticed a need, she scrambles for a solution, and can I tell you the thirdly, she called for Christ. Look right down in, um, look right down in verse 3, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. I find that interesting. She, you know, she sees this need. She says, hey, we're, we're a little bit out of wine. We're, we're, we're coming short on what we need. And she says, hey, there needs to be a solution. Here's what she does. She goes to Christ. Can I tell you that if you ever have a problem, if you ever have a need, if you ever need a solution, can I encourage you not to concoct your own plan, not to, not to strategize, not to start scheming and saying, hey, here's how we're going to do it. But she immediately went to Christ. She immediately went to the Savior. And she said, hey, I've got this issue. Can you do something for me? See, God wants us to go to, his, to Him for His issues. God wants us to show up to Him and say, Hey, I have this issue. I have this need. I have this problem. And I need it fixed. They, because Mary was very aware of who Christ was. She just spent how many years He was there. I can't say He was there for 30 years, but I can say that He was probably there for at least 18 years that He was with Mary. Mary very much so knew who Christ was. 
And she said, hey, if I know anyone, I know that my son is going to figure out the solution to this problem. In Psalms 121, verse 1 and 2, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. If you have a problem in life, if you have an issue in life, can I encourage you always to go to the Savior? Your help only comes from God. So in, 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 this, in this wedding right here, Mary's, there's an uncontrolled situation. But can I tell you something? that, I, that This is really what I saw here at the beginning of the sermon. At, at the beginning when I was getting this ready, I saw the second point, which is an unhindered Savior. Right here, you know, Mary comes to Christ. She says, hey, I have this, I have this need. I have this problem, and I need your solution. I need you to fix it. I need you to do something about it. And right in verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know, to me, I'm thinking, you know, as a guy, if I see a problem, usually I want to fix it. If I, and I know a lot of times with my, with my dad, he sees a problem, he wants to fix it. And, you know, he, if there's a problem, and I can imagine I'm not the only one like that, if I see a problem, I want to fix it. I want to jump in. I want to say, hey, here's the solution for this. Here, I'm going to scheme, and I'm going to put something together, and we're going to fix this problem. But a lot of times, that's not, that's not the case. A lot of times, you just got to go to the Savior about it. And we got to say, hey, hey I, I, I might not be able to scheme the best. I might not be able to come up with the best solution. I might not be able to, you know, come up with the best plan. But I know someone who does. I know someone who can. I know someone that can fix any problem. And right here, Mary comes to Jesus. He said, hey, there's not enough wine. And Jesus kind of tells her, he said, hey, my, my time's not come yet. He, tell, he says, hey, I haven't even started doing miracles yet. He said, hey, I, I'm not supposed to be out here right now. And Mary, and Mary looks at the servants and she says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I'm just kind of astounded about the faith of Mary. You know, because I'm thinking, you know, if this is Jesus' first miracle, his track record's not like the greatest thing. You know, he hasn't come out and healed the blind man yet. He hasn't come out and made the lame to walk yet. He hasn't come out and told the blind to see. He hasn't come out and raised the dead to life. He hasn't come out and said to anybody and proved himself anything. And Mary right here says, hey, I know you don't have that great of a track record right now. And I know that you, you, you might not have raised the dead to life. You might not have made the blind to see. And you might not have made the lame to walk. But I know you. Can I tell you something? That Mary knew Christ. Mary spent time with Christ. And though he might have looked like he was unproven, Mary exactly knew who she was. Mary knew that he was the Son of God. Mary knew that he was the Prince of Peace. Mary knew that he was the Counselor, that he was wonderful, that he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Mary knew that he was Jehovah. And Mary said, hey, I have this problem. I have this issue. And hey, this issue might look like it's never been fixed before. It might not look like there's no answer to this problem. Mary said, hey, I know that you might not have a track record in this area of expertise. Mary said, hey, you might not look like you're the most qualified for this job. But Mary knew that that's exactly the man that could fix the problem. Mary knew that that was the man that could step in. And hey, she knew that he could come in and change the issue. She knew that he could fix the solution. Mary didn't knew... Mary knew that he wasn't the best in the area, but Mary knew that he was the Son of God. 
That was the only thing that made the difference. She said, hey, I know that Jesus might not know much about this issue, but I know that he is the son of God. I know that he is the king of kings. Mary surrendered her will in this area. Mary said, hey, I know that I have this issue. And I know that Mary probably hosted a few more weddings than Jesus did. Mary probably spent a few more times helping people with organizing things. Mary probably spent a, few, a little bit more time in this area. But she told God, she said, hey, I have this problem, but I'm going to give it all to you. And a complete surrender to God. God can do great things with a life that's wholly surrendered to him. God can do great things with a life that'll just say, hey, whatever you want, I'll do it. I'm sure you look back at the Bible and you would look at Noah and you'd think, hey, there's a man. Noah said, hey, I'm living in this time of great error and this great sin. And God comes down and tells me to build an ark. And Noah said, hey, hey, whatever you want, God, I'll do it. You look back at Abraham and you might think, hey, there's a man who has great faith who's yielded to God. And God comes down to him and says, hey, go up that mountain and sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham says, hey, I don't understand everything that's going on with that. But whatever you want, God, I'll do it. And you look at Samuel, who's, who's in the temple, and, he, and it has, God hasn't spoken to anybody in a while. And, and God comes down to Samuel, and he calls Samuel, and he says, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak for thy servant heareth. You know, he might have not known everything that was going on. But can I tell you that he had a fully surrendered will to God? He said, hey, I don't know everything, but you, but you do. And you look at Esther in the Bible, and she said she, she, she didn't know what was going on, and, and Haman just put out this decree to kill all the Jews, and she said, hey, I'm going to go to this king's the, the banquet hall that he's in, and if I step in there and he gives the word, I could die. And she says, but, 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 but I'm going to be fully surrendered to God. That I, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to say, hey, whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. And you look at these heroes of the faith, and you look at David who says, hey, I'm going on to this valley. I'm going down to kill this Goliath. I'm going down to kill this giant. I don't know how it's going to go out to end. I don't know if Goliath's going to come out and kill me. I don't know if he's going to come out, swing his sword, and one shot kill me. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know that I'm fully surrendered to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm going to go down in this valley. I'm going to sling my sling. And hey, if it hits him, it hits him. Praise the Lord. But if it doesn't, all honor to God. And you think about these heroes of the faith in the Bible, and they say, hey, I don't know how this is going to end. Hey, I don't know how this is going to go. But hey, whatever goes on, whatever happens, I'm just going to serve God. I'm just going to be fully surrendered to Him. I'm just going to say, hey, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. I'm sure when Paul was on the road to Damascus and God comes down to him, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was happening. But God said, said, Saul, Saul. And Saul said, hey, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm fully surrendered to do whatever you want me to do. And all these heroes of the faith in the Bible, and they're they're so... To me, they're so encouraging because, hey, I want to have that spirit. I want to have that spirit of saying, hey, God, if you came down to me in a vision and told me to go into a valley to kill a giant, I wish that I could say, hey, God, whatever you want me to do. If God came to me and said, hey, go to that banquet hall, talk to that king, tell him you want out, tell him you want to save Hey, I wish that I could say, hey, whatever you want me to do, God, when I'm staring face to death and say, hey, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. 
And there needs to be Christians by the grace of God that will stand up and say, hey, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. There needs to be Christians like the three Hebrew boys who they said, hey, we're not going to bow to that. We're not going to bow to that wickedness, that filth, that unjustness. And we're going to say, hey, we're going to stand for God. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if He's going to throw us in the furnace. I don't know if He's going to have grace. I don't know if He's going to do anything to us. But what I know is that I'm going to stand for God. Whatever you say, God, I'm going to do it. Not because I'm anything special. Not because I'm anything that's worth anything. I'm nothing. I'm no one. But hey, I'll do it. And there needs to be people who are going to say, hey, I'll do it. A fully surrendered life. God can work miracles with a fully surrendered life. Remember Moses back in the Old Testament. He said, God, I can't speak well. You know, God, I, 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 I'm not great at speaking. But he told God, he said, I'll do it. God's not waiting for you to be qualified. God's not waiting for you to graduate Bible college. God's not waiting for you to have a PhD in whatever. But God's just saying, hey, I don't care what your social status is. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care if you even graduated from Bible college. I don't care that you didn't graduate from high school. I don't care that you're whatever. Fill in the blank. But God's just saying, hey, I just want you to be willing. Mary surrendered her entire will. She said, God, she told the servant, she said, whatever he says. She gave Christ entire liberty. She said, hey, hey, do what you need to do. Mary surrendered her will, but Mary gave God the entire control. Go really quick, a few pages back to Luke 22. I wish I could read a clock. I don't know what time it is. <laughs> Again, I was homeschooled, so. I was going to bring my phone up here to like look at the time, and my dad said, yeah, no, don't bring it up because it might mess it up. So I guess that means I can go until I'm done. I don't know. <laughs> Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Just for some context right here, this is Jesus right before he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he came out and went out as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless not my will, but thou, thine be done. You know, it's kind of amazing when you look at that scene. You know, God's in the garden. God, Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. Jesus isn't ignorant to what's about to go down. And here he is in the, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be crucified, and he's praying. And he's telling God, he's saying, hey, whatever you want done, I'll do it. Jesus knew the torment that he was about to go through. Jesus knew exactly the pain that he was about to go through. Jesus knew exactly what was about to go down. And he sat there and he told God, hey, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll do it. Not my will, but thine be done. I pray that that is your... That is your phrase every day. I pray that when you wake up in the morning, you might say, hey, not my will, but thine be done. That you might say every day and every hour and every second of your life that you might have this mentality of saying, hey, not my will, but thine be done. 
Because it's not, really, it's not about us. Jesus, and I promise you, Jesus right here in the garden, he could have called 10,000 angels to come down and he would have been gone in a second. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to come down and wipe out every single one of his adversaries. Jesus could have called anybody to come down and say, hey, get rid of them, I don't want them here. But Jesus sat there and, and, and he knew the agony and he knew the pain and he knew everything that was about to go down and he said, hey, not, thy, not my will but thine be done. Jesus wants to have, God wants to have entire control of your life. And can I promise you, here's something, can I promise you that uh, you might have your plans for your life. You might have everything, you know, set together. You say, here, this is what I'm going to do with my life. It pales in comparison to what God wants to do with your life. It pales in comparison to what God wants to do with your life. God can do so more with your life. God, you, God has so much greater plans with your life. And you're sitting there, you're saying, here, I'm going to go to this college. Hey, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to do this and get a job here. And hey, I'm going to do this. But God's saying, hey, I have such a better plan for you. I have such a better idea. I have such a better scheme. I have such a better plan. And we're down here saying, here, God, this is what I'm going to do. So the, the, there's the first thing. There's an uncontrollable situation. There's an unhindered Savior. And then lastly, I want you guys to understand that there's an understanding servant. Go to verse, verse 7. We'll go to verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine and when men have well drunk then that which is worse but thou hast kept the good wine until now you know this is just amazing to me that, that, that Jesus comes in and he says, okay, listen, I know you have a problem. Let me, let me set it straight. Let me fix this problem. You know why Jesus could fix that problem? Was because Mary told the servant, she said, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Jesus was able to come in. Jesus was able to turn that water into wine only because Mary said, you have complete liberty. Do what you want to do. But understand you that there's understanding servants. They understood what happened. Jesus told them, he said, hey, I have, there's these pots. Get these pots, fill them up with water. They filled them up to the brim. And they gave them to the governor of the wedding. And the governor tried them, and he said, hey, that's pretty good. Hey, you know, most of the times when you have a wedding, you're going to put out the good stuff first, and then you put out anything that you have left over. And he tells Jesus, but you saved this for the end. He said, you saved the best stuff for the last. You know, Jesus comes in and he's going to make this situation a whole lot better than it was before. But, but and if you read down in a verse 9, when the rule of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. You know, I, I, get, I get told a lot of times, you know, I go to college and I'm, I'm in a dorms a lot and I have a lot of conversations with a lot of guys and I have a lot of people tell me, hey, I wish I could just see God work. Hey, I wish I could see God work in a miraculous way. 
And, and I, and I kind of sit there and I'm like, what, well, what do you mean? You wish you could see God work in a miraculous way. I see God work in a miraculous way all the time. Not because I'm anything, but because if, you, if you're constantly in the ministry and if you're constantly doing something for God, you're going to see God work in a miraculous way. And if you look right here, the governor has no idea. The governor has no idea that Jesus just came into the scene and said, hey, let me fix this situation for you. The governor has no idea that Jesus just came in and changed this water to wine. But it says there right in parentheses, it says, hey, the servants knew that God came in. And let me tell you something. If you want to see God move, if you want to see God change a nation, if you want to see God change a church, if you want to see God change a life, get involved in the ministry. Get involved. Become a servant. Tell God, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Hey, if you want to see God work, if you want to see God do a miraculous thing in this world, hey, you got to become a servant. You got to become someone that wants to see God work. You know, I get people that tell me, hey, I wish I could see God work. You can. You just got to be a servant. You can. You just got to be a servant. There's nothing to it. There's servants right here. They knew what God had done. They said, hey, I just saw God do a miraculous work. Hey, I just saw God do something great. Hey, I just saw God come in and fix this problem. Hey, I just saw God come in and change this life. Hey, I just saw God come in and fill this bus room. Hey, I just saw God come in and fill this Sunday school room. Hey, I just saw God come in and fill this college with college kids who just want to serve God. Hey, I just saw God come in and change this church. But you'll never see it if you're not involved. You'll never see it if you're not a servant. You'll never see it if you don't want to get involved at all. You might sit in these pews Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. You know, you might sit here every Sunday and you might say, hey, I wish God was doing something. Can I remind you today? He is doing something because I see it every week when I get on that van route. And this morning we had one person get on the van route and I thought, hey, man, that's kind of discouraging. Brother Sean can testify. She got on that bus route. She said, hey, I'm glad you guys came today. I'm glad you guys came today. It encouraged me. You know, I'm thinking, hey, I'm working on this van route day after day, week after week, and I'm trying, and I'm doing my best, God. I'm just putting the time in, and I'm feeling like I'm not getting anywhere. But she gets on that, and she says, hey, I'm glad you're here today. Hey, I'm glad you guys came this Sunday. Hey, I'm glad that I can ride this van to church today. And I, when I'm sitting there, you know, kind of discouraged, I'm saying, hey, this isn't how I wanted it to be. This isn't the plan that I had in my mind. This isn't what I wanted. It, I wanted it to be so much better. She gets on there. She says, hey, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I can ride the church van today. And God is doing a mighty work in his people. And God is doing a mighty plan. And he has, he has a plan in his mind. And God says, hey, I want to do this. You know, the problem is there's not enough willing people. There's not enough surrendered souls. There's not enough Marys that are going to say, hey God, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. You might think, hey, I wish God was doing something great. God is doing something great. Just get involved. It's just a crazy story to me. I just, I don't understand it. That God comes in and he says, hey, let me make this sweeter. Let me make this a little bit better. Can I I tell you right now, God didn't ever ask anyone to do the miracle. God never asked anyone to fix the problem. God came in and he said, hey, I know what I'm going to do. But you know what he did do? He didn't ask people to help. He did tell the servants, he said, hey, grab that pot. He did tell the servants, he said, 
grab that pot, put some water in it. I got it from there. He told those servants, hey, grab that pot. It's about nine gallons. Pick it up, fill some water, put, it, put some water in it. Put it down. I got the rest. God never asked them to change that water into wine. God never asked them to go out and buy new wine. God never asked them to do anything else. Just fill the pot with water. And, and, and kind of something that, you know, water in the Bible is usually a picture of the Holy Spirit. And right here, Jesus is saying, hey, just grab that pot and just fill it with water. I'll do the rest. That's all he wants us to do. Can I tell you, Christian, today, all God wants you to do, grab that pot, fill it with the Holy Spirit, and let God do the rest. Just grab that pot, fill it with water. They said, the Bible says they filled it to the brim. We got a bunch of Christians who want to see God work. They want to see him do a work, but they don't want to be filled up. They don't want to be pots that are filled to the brim. They say, hey, I'm okay with just being half filled. I'm okay with just being a quarter bit filled. But God's saying, hey, get this pot, nine gallons, fill it with water. And the servants filled it to the brim. They said, hey, God, we want to see you do a work. We want to see you come down. We want to see you fill that pot. And we want to see you change it. But, but, but God said, here, here, you fill the pot, and then I'll change it. You know, God's not asking you to run the biggest church in America. God's not asking you to fill a church bus. God's not asking you to fill the Sunday school class. God's not asking you to do something great for God. God's just asking you to be filled. God's just saying, hey, just be filled. God's not asking you to get on that Sunday school bus and say, hey, this week we're going to have 60, 70 teens. God's not asking you to do that. God's just asking you to be filled. God's not asking you to go to that Sunday school class and say, hey, this week I want to see 20 kids, 20 teens saved. Hey, God's not asking you to go save some teens. God's just asking you to be filled. And there needs to be some people by the grace of God that are going to step up and say, hey, God, I want to be filled. There needs to be some teenagers that are going to stand up and say, hey, God, I want to be filled. Teenagers, can I encourage you tomorrow as you go to camp and the next week you'll just say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Not because I'm great, not because I'm mighty, not because I'm something special, but because, God, I just want to be used by you. God's not asking you to do something great. God's just asking you to be faithful. I think of that song, Faithful to the Cross. Over the past two semesters at Bible College, we have these voice lessons that we have to do. Man, I hate them. I hate these voice lessons. Don't tell my college president. He'll beat me over the head. Anybody who goes to this college knows they're just they're awful. I try not to complain. This is the best I can do. They're awful. And we have to pick a song to sing it for the semester. And by the end of the semester, we're going to sing the song, and she's going to judge us. And so I... I, I song that I thought, you know, I kind of know it, you know, I should be good. So I, I picked this song, Faithful to the Cross, and I sang it for an entire semester. Once you sing a song for an entire semester, at the end of it, you're really like, I never want to hear that song again. <laughs> I've sang some songs for an entire semester. I'm like, uh, get, get rid of it. I don't want to hear it again. But this song, Faithful to the Cross, I had to sing it day in and day out every week when I go to my voice lessons. Usually, it was, I think it was every Tuesday, I had to go to my teacher and sing the song for her, Faithful to the Cross. And I, I had a, a few different songs I had to sing to her, but this is the one that I, that I, that I thought, you know, I, these words, I actually really want to live these. 
You know, you know, all these songs, I've sung them, and I don't want to hear them again, but this song. Because I want to be found faithful to the cross. You know, there's so many preachers nowadays that they're going to say, hey, I'm like this. Hey, I'm going to go, I want to go pastor the biggest church in America. Hey, I'm going to go do the greatest work for God. And then they're going to go to a church, and they're going to pastor it for two years. They're going to go to a church and pastor it for three years and say, well, you know, I tried. You know, I listen to all these preachers of the old time, like Lester Roloff and, and, and Curtis Hudson and, and R.G. Lee and, and all these preachers, and, they, and, and they, they say, hey, I've been at this church for 40 years. And I'm thinking, well, I've never even been in the same continent for 40 years. That's less four years. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's insane, 40 years. Can I promise you that when they first started, they, they didn't know that God was going to do a great work in them. But can I promise you that when they started that work, when they started working for God, they're going to say, hey, uh, Lord, whatever you want me to do, and I'm going to be faithful to you. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to step out there. God, I'm going to be faithful to you. It's not going to be overnight. You know, you're not going to have a Sunday school bus full of kids coming in next week. Because you're anything great. You're not going to have that. And you might have low days. You're going to have low days. You might have days that are a little bit harder. But God's not asking you to be anything great. God's not asking you to change this water into wine. God's just asking you to have a pot that's filled with water. So that when he comes around, and he's coming into town, and he comes to that wedding, and you might, and you might be sitting there a little bit discouraged. You say, hey, we got this problem. We have this need. We have something that we need a solution for. That God can come in and he can say, hey, I, I, I want to do something here, but can I, can I please ask you to have a pot that's filled? Can I please ask you to have a pot that's filled to the brim, that's running over? And God says, I'll come by and I'll touch that. God comes by and he said, hey, I'll even talk to that and it'll change to wine. God wants to come in. God wants to change your life. God wants to do something great. If you go over to Matthew 13, and we, and we won't, but... I think it's Matthew 13. I could be wrong. But, but God comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he walks in. And all these people, all this crowd are here. And they're saying, hey, uh, we know this guy. We know who his brothers are. We know who his sisters are. We know who his parents are. We know who, that his dad is a carpenter. We know that his, son, his mother's married. We know everything about him. And at the end of the verse, it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Uh, what? They know him. They know God. They know who his parents are. They know who his siblings are. They know his trade. They know everything about him. But he walks out and did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, it's a shame that he walks into his hometown. He walks to where they know everything about him. But he leaves doing nothing because of their unbelief. Their unbelief in what? They know him. How could they not believe him? And I'm fearful that a lot of times God's going to come to somewhere. God's going to come to his home. God's going to come to his church house. God's going to show up to somewhere that he, that he ought to show up often. God's going to show up somewhere where all of us know him. And he's going to leave. Not doing a mighty work. Not doing a mighty work. God wants to come. God wants to heal the blind. 
God wants to make the lame to walk again. God wants to see that teenage life changed. God wants to see a bus filled with teenagers. God wants to see a Sunday school filled with kids. God wants to see a preacher behind a pulpit filled with fire. But if you don't have the pot filled, God can't change that water into wine. I want to challenge you this morning. Please just have your life dedicated to God. Say, God, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm right here. Go back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Lord says, who will go for us? And who, who will I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. Samuel says, speak for thy servant heareth. Moses said, hey, I can't speak well, but I'll go. God's not looking for someone who knows what they're doing. This is saying God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God's not looking for you to be the greatest speaker. God's not looking for you to be the greatest singer. God's not looking for you to have the greatest personality. God just wants you to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm right here. God, whatever you want to do, my pot's filled. I have that water to the brim. God will come by and say, hey, I see that. I see that your pot's filled. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for just showing us this truth in the Bible. God, I pray that you Use these gods to help us to, to, to grow in our Christian life. God, I pray that you help us just to apply this to our life. Help us to just live for you, God. Help us to be willing to let you do whatever, God. Lord, I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. We stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As the piano begins to play, would you be in a pot that's willing to be filled tonight? Would you say, God, I'm, I'm a vessel. I'm not much. I'm just a clay pot. Might not be very decorated. I might not be very pretty, but God, I'm willing to be used of you. Allow him to fill your life. Fill your life with the Holy Spirit. Fill your life with the Word of God. Allow Him to use you.